Welcome to the Infertility Feelings Podcast. I am so excited for today's episode. I am sitting here with two powerhouse women who happen to also be my friends. And I am so excited to talk about their journey. And I feel like this is going to be a really, really good episode. I would like to introduce you to Mary Jane Edwards. Hello. Hello. And Patty Dedman. Hello. And I am so happy that you guys are here. And we are going to talk about... What is it like to be a birth mom? Mary Jane, you are a birth mom, and we're going to talk about that. And then, Patty, we are going to talk about um, what is it like to be adopted out of infertility. Um, And I think this is a really important subject because about every other day, I get this question from um, people that are struggling with infertility of how do I do this well? How do I adopt well? How do I um, not bring my infertility trauma into adoption? Um, What should I look out for? And sometimes I feel like I struggle because there's no one adoption story that's the same. And I think the more views and the more, um, you know, advice or opinions or stories we can have on this subject, the better. Um, And not just my voice, because I have never been a birth mom. I have never been adopted out of infertility. I have adopted out of infertility for myself. Um, So I'm just really, really excited. So um, Mary Jane, let's start with you. Wonderful. Yes. So um, my adoption story. I was 17 and was pregnant, just a normal kind of high school student. had a boyfriend. Life happens. Uh Um, And uh, I didn't have an environment at home where I felt like I could share Mm. that news. So I actually hid my pregnancy like the whole time. How did you do that? I will say it was it was the late 90s and overalls were in. Okay. So that was a helpful feature. <laughs> like maybe you're... <laughs> like just not, put so it in sad. a pouch. Yes. It's so sad, but it's so true. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I was a teenager, so I'd kind of keep to myself. Right. Um, and I was fit. And so I kind of hold it in. But uh, it wasn't until two weeks before I delivered that anyone in my life actually knew that I was pregnant. Wow. So what did I, that feel like? Uh, it was pretty isolating and, and sad. It was, I had to kind of compartmentalize. I viewed this child, like I was just a really attentive babysitter. Like I, Mm. I wanted to care for this child. I wanted to make sure it was being nurtured and growing, but out of my own fear and, you know, just insecurity, I, I didn't get medical help. I didn't want Mm. anyone to know. I was so afraid of the reaction. Can I ask you a question? Did you know the whole time you were going to give the baby up for adoption? Yeah. So in my mind, I just, I have such a high regard for parenting and Mm. for the importance of children growing up in safe places. And I knew at 17, what kind of stability Mm. or safe place could I possibly provide knowing like I was a mess. Like I was 17. I was a yeah. hot mess. I had nothing in my life together. Um, who does? Right. Nobody, yeah. No nobody. one. I didn't. Right. <laughs> and so um, I just knew that he deserved better than I could ever give him. And that's that's where it all came from, wanting him to grow up with love and stability that mm-hmm. I knew I couldn't provide him. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I hit it. There was a morning that my stepmom finally worked up the courage to ask me, hey, Mm. are you pregnant? Yeah, how far along? Eight and a half months. (laughs) 
<laughs> she like, uh. Yeah, it was it was so traumatic for them. Like, can you imagine? Right. Like, they just went from zero to 60 where I had like, oh, now I hit this moment of relief. And they were like at the peak of what? Um, so that was interesting. The hardest part is that I actually hit it from the father as well. Mm. So um, he found out the day before his 18th birthday that two weeks later there was going to be a child coming into the world that was his. Wow. Um, that he didn't know existed so there was a lot of um a lot of fear a lot of emotion a lot of confusion and pain all kind of swirling around at the same time and I'm eight and a half months pregnant like I'm not sleeping and I'm hormonal and everything's a hot mess and I don't I I don't know what to do and Mm. thankfully I have a really large family Mm. and I have um, my dad and stepmom kind of said, like, we think you should keep the baby. Like, we'll help you. We'll figure it out together. And again, I just knew that I couldn't, I couldn't give this child the mm-hmm. life that I wanted and every child to have. I want every child to have a loving home and support. Right. right. Um, so, yeah, I... I kind of pushed against my dad and stepmom and said, like, I don't think that's the, the plan for me. And I had an aunt reach out to me and she said, hey, I have um, a girlfriend who has adopted a child. And like, I, I know that that's something you're considering. Maybe you could just bounce your ideas or questions off of her and hmm. she might be able to kind of give you some advice. In the meantime, my um, stepmom had taken me to some adoption agencies, and like I looked through the books, yeah, the books and books of these amazing. What was that people. like? Oh, it was so overwhelming. Yeah, it was so overwhelming. How do you possibly choose off of a book like that? Was so confusing to me. Yeah, yeah. And um, I can we just pause right yeah. there and think about that for a second because I think in the world that I'm in, it's constantly the opposite. What do I put in this book to make it look like we look like this amazing person? I even had one person tell me like, you should have every aspect of every hobby you kind of like. I was like, what? She's like, cause you never know. It could be a Mickey Mouse sweatshirt that the girl goes, I love Mickey Mouse. I choose them. Or it could be something super profound of like, oh, they're religious or oh, whatever. And so it's interesting. And I want you to touch on that a little bit and talk a little bit more about like that feeling. Cause I feel like I only hear about the other side of what's it like to put in the book and you are looking at these books. How the heck do you decide? Well, yeah. and I feel like this is really interesting to me because my fate is being chosen Yes, <laughs> based off of you looking at books and you creating a book. And it's like, that is maybe the least efficient way right. <laughs> to it's choose terrible. a life for a child. I'm like, wow. Okay. It's like, shopping on the airplane when you're looking through the little magazine, you know? Yes. So this is really interesting. To totally. Me, so please, I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, and you have to recognize, like, I'm 17 and everything is condensed. There's two weeks before this child is right, a right. real life breathing human outside of my body that's an independent life. Right. So um, I, I just remember it being very swirly, that there were so many faces and so many people that mm. were all lovely they all Mm. seemed very lovely but at the same time I was really confused because there were so many limitations Mm. um at I I don't know what agency it was I couldn't tell you um but I just remember well this family um you would be allowed to have their their name and their phone number but you wouldn't be allowed to know where they lived or this family Mm. and there was all these little restrictions and limitations and I just remember going home and feeling so defeated and thinking I know that it's not 
I know that it's not safe for everyone to have their birth family in their life. But right. I didn't want to have the kind of relationship with the adoptive family where I felt like I couldn't right. be as involved as I wanted to be. Right. And that would be mutually agreeable. You know what right, I mean? Right, right, right. So, and I couldn't... It feels like you were the one that's in control and also out of control. Right, and I couldn't sit with these people and have a conversation and ask the questions because right. we had two weeks. Right. Um, and so I'm talking to this friend of my aunt. Her name is Lisa and she's, she lives on the East coast so far removed from the situation. Mm -hmm. And I'm frustrated and I'm explaining kind of my experience with this agency. And she stopped me and she said something that has completely changed my entire life. Mm -hmm. Um, and she said, I understand like your frustration, but there's no such thing as too much love for a child. And mm. if you want to love your child, you should be allowed to do that. Mm. Oh, okay. And the permission, the permission was finally given to me that even though I was choosing to walk away from parenting, I didn't have to walk away from loving. Yes. Oh, this is already so healing for me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Good. So oh. I, I hung up the phone, and I was just overwhelmed um, with emotion and gratitude and thanksgiving. And I remember it was it was the voice of God, and He just said, "Why not her? Mm. Why why wouldn't you choose her?" Mm -hmm. um, and, and who I, was her? This Lisa. friend of my aunt. That this, woman. This woman who had said these amazing words and oh was my giving gosh. me permission to love my child. The Lord said, why not her? Mm -hmm. And I picked up the phone and I called her and it was done. Oh. Wow. Um, I said, would you consider adopting this, this child? And she wept and I wept and she... I remember she was so overwhelmed. She's like, I need to send you our packet. Like, I need to send you our, like, stuff so you know more about us. And oh it was like, gosh. all I needed to know was that my aunt considered her a safe person mm. and that she said those magic words, that there was no such thing as too much love for a child. Mm -hmm. And it was, that was all I needed. Mm. Um, there was a lot of different, more conversations that came, talking to the birth father, figuring out all of those dynamics and you know, the story continues. But, right. Um, Let's touch a little bit um, on what was it like to actually give birth to a child that you are choosing to give up for adoption. I listened to a panel of birth moms and I've never been more blown away in my life and more like I've learned so much. And I remember one, one of the birth moms said, remember in the hospital, your family is celebrating, but I'm grieving. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like, of course I thought that up here, but it was one thing for her to say it and then for her to walk through that whole thing and like even how that was when the baby left the room and stuff like that. Can you touch a little bit on what's that like? Yeah, um, I think because in my mind I had just decided that I was a really attentive babysitter mm. um, and it wasn't ever going to be my child. Um, there was there was a different like reality for me walking into giving birth. Um, we, it was at St. Joseph's here in orange and they were just wonderful. I cannot say enough 
Aww, wonderful things that's about awesome. how great they treated me. Um, I was really clear about what I wanted. Um, my mom actually is a birth mom as well. She placed a child for adoption before I was born. So I had gotten to see some of her choices and how they played out. And so I had some ideas of what I knew I needed um, to stay healthy and well, as well as to give the child what he needed. Um, and so when he was born, I had told the staff that I would like him to just be taken away and cared for. And I didn't want him to stay in the room, which was really hard. Um, yeah. But I have wanted to be a mom since I was five. And so I knew if I saw him, held him, um, maintaining my commitment to the life I knew he deserved would have been so hard to resist. Right. Um, so he was born. They took him um, from the room. They let me recover um, outside of labor and delivery, which was really kind. Mm -hmm. um, it was the cancer ward, which is a little sad, but I had a room by myself. I wasn't around new moms and crying babies, oh, that's which wise. was a sweet mercy. Yeah. Um, and meanwhile, Lisa, who was on the East Coast, is flying in and trying to get um, to us. And I had requested that only hospital staff um, hold him until she could be there. Mm -hmm. And so we went down to um, the nursery together, her and I, and um, I got to watch her hold her son for the first oh time. <laughs> um, oh, and I needed that. I needed to see her become his mom mm. um, and then I got to hold him and it was wonderful mm. and eventually you know my the father got to come and hold him and family that wanted to could come and kind of peek in and see before um, they were released but she spent that night with me in that little cancer ward room mm. and we got to chat and talk and I got to watch her feed him bottles and oh. swaddle him. And it's like, that's that's what I needed. Mm. I needed to see her be mom. That's so powerful as a 17-year-old. I know. I'm thinking back on my 17-year-old selfish-ass oh self, and I'm like, I don't think I would, <laughs> I would want all those things. I would want that healthy choice, um, but I don't think I would. So I just, that's amazing that your 17-year-old self could be so mature. Um, I think that's so powerful that you needed to see that. Do you think that's helped you in your quote unquote grieving is having some of those images and having some of those memories or do you think they're too painful and you wish you hadn't? No, I don't regret. I don't regret, um, getting to see those things or experience those things. Um, I think that for, for me, grief it's, it's interesting how often grief is intertwined with joy, right? 100%. Like we can be um, so sad for the loss of a loved one yet rejoice over the amazing life and memories that we've had with them. And it's no different. Right. Um, we can consider um, how things might have been or what could have been different and mm -hmm. feel like to maybe avoid some pain. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, I think seeing it making it real was the right choice for me. And I, mm. I know for some moms, for some birth moms, that isn't the right choice for them. Right. My mom, when she gave birth, she needed the child to be taken from the room and she never saw him, never held him, didn't. She couldn't bring herself to that. And I don't want to judge her for that. There's no shame in right, that. Right. That was what she needed to do to be healthy and to do what was best for the child. 
Um, and I think I did the same thing, that that's what I needed to do for myself. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think benefited everyone, right? right? Like his mom got to know that like this person who's signing away, who's supposed to sign away in a few days, right. um, is here watching this happen and is at peace and mm-hmm. is delighting even in seeing a new mom rejoice over a new baby. Right. Like that's a beautiful image. Right. Um, and I think... I mean, maybe in not the most healthy of ways, sometimes the compartmentalization was I could remove myself emotionally from mm-hmm. that moment mm-hmm. and see it from their perspective and see it for the beauty and not see it from my own right. pain. Right. Mm. But there's a lot of emotions going on in that thing, too. I think sometimes the compartmentalized can protect us from that. And I love that you said, like, joy and sadness can coexist. It's the movie. It's it's inside out. I know. <laughs> my gosh. Oh my gosh. Bring Disney into this immediately. Yeah. <laughs> we are th- all three obsessed with Disney. So, I mean, it would only be fitting. Um, but yeah, it's right. You're so right. It's that. It's the joy and sadness together. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing yeah. your story. Dang. Uh, I can share too that the birth father and I, like, we stayed together and yeah. we got married Yes. And we have children now, which is the most bizarre twist of the story that I could not have predicted. Right, right. Uh, going from that and him not knowing about this pregnancy to right. fast forward all these years later. Right. You have two beautiful, beautiful boys. Two beautiful boys. And you have a third. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. And you also struggled with infertility yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it took, once we um, decided we wanted to try for children, it took us two and a half years. Right. Um, and we had a miscarriage in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... it's what, did, what did that feel like? What did that feel like to be like, I've done this before, I've gotten pregnant before, when I quote unquote wasn't ideal, right. and now <laughs> it is ideal, and it's all it's good, and happening. I got the house and the job and the picket fence and all the whole thing, and I'm not getting pregnant. What did that feel like? Um, I mean... I'm not going to lie. There was a large number of years where it was my, my deserved penance mm. for my past choices. Um, mm. that this was the right response, um, for my choices. And that was so mm. incorrect. That was such incorrect thinking. Um, that's just not reality. Right. Mm. But that was how I had justified it in my mind that I had earned this, that I had mm. deserved, um, to, to not be a mom after willingly giving away um, a child which is just it's backwards thinking that comes from pain and comes from fear Um, yeah I think um it was it was painful in that I knew it was possible like I knew that yeah that keeps you on the hamster wheel even more (laughs) I knew it was possible so why why not now and then you know being, I'm kind of surrounded by kids and families, and so like constant reminders of um, what I'm looking for, waiting for, and hoping for. Right. Um, and then, yeah, running the what could have been scenarios, and it's still, you know, it still happens. You still miss that child that could have been, or that life that could have been, right. or you know, you long to be a younger mom, or totally, whatever. Yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, now we transition <laughs> to the other side of the table. Um, I was not nearly that wise. <laughs> no, yes, you are. Nor that giving. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I got trauma. I can talk about yeah, that. We can talk about the trauma. <laughs> so, Patty, tell us a little bit of your story of 
how have you been touched by infertility and adoption? Yeah. Um, so I've kind of got two sides of the coin here. I've got my biological parents um, who were 19 and dating. Um, they did not stay together nor get married. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really rare thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that is rare. Um, Barb and Jeb. Yes. They're from the South. Yes. How can you tell? <laughs> um, so they were 19. Um, I knew I was adopted from like, I can't even remember having a conversation about it, which I think is so good and healthy that there wasn't this like moment of like, guess what? Right. You're 14. You're adopted. (laughs) Guess what? You're going through identity crisis. You're also not ours. Right. Um, yeah, let's not do that. Right. So Barb and Jeb were 19 and I knew they were 19. I did not know their names until much later. Um, I know Jeb now, so I have a lot of insight. Um, and he wanted to get married and move in and raise me together. And, uh, she said, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. And she had dreams of being a nurse. I know that she's done that, um, and going to school. And so she came out here to California and gave birth to me and went home without me. Um, and, uh, so we've got that side of things. And then on the other side, we've got my parents. Um, and I think language is really important. So my parents and mm-hmm. biological parents. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents, Phil and Becky, mm-hmm. um, they were going through infertility and for years. And the 80s are a very different time totally. yeah, of going through infertility. Uh, there's so much more that they can do now. Um, in fact, when... Uh, science caught up to my mom's fertility issues. It was a $20 copay and a one doctor visit and she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. So there, I do have a, a sister who is their biological child. Um, and yeah, they had struggled so much with infertility and they went the route of adoption. So mm-hmm. I am the product of, you know, over fertility over here and mm-hmm. infertility over here. Right. Um, and that's kind of where I come into the picture. Um, So I was born in the 80s, like I said, which is a different time. And I think um, we've come not so far just in science with infertility, but also um, psychology with understanding Mm. what children need. Right, right. And so I feel like I kind of got... I don't know. Maybe I'm one of those people that they studied and went, oh, this is really bad. We should do this. (laughs) Don't do that. Don't do that anymore. Right. Um, So they were very concerned that back then about birth moms changing their mind, parents Mm. changing their mind. Um, So they had a waiting period of three days where um, my adoptive parents were not allowed to hold or touch me. Mm -hmm. um, And my biological mother could. And if she wanted And, um, they were, you know, they wanted to make sure she really wanted to give me up before my parents held me. Mm -hmm. Um, and my biological mother, much like Mary Jane was like, I know what I need to do. And I know that if I hold this child, that ain't happening. So I was actually a a C-section. So even, and that was when they would Mm. actually put you under. Mm. So she never saw me, never heard me cry, definitely didn't take them up on going and visiting me. So for three days, I was in the nursery with just nurses. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we know how important that first hour of right. bonding is. And right. Um, right. so, you know, I think that 
what people don't realize is that even if you do get that skin to skin immediately, there is um, abandonment that happens around adoption for adoptees. And um, I think I feel extra about that because of that like first three days where I just didn't get any affection Mm, and of, of anybody in this situation this baby is probably the one that needs the tending to because Absolutely. they're confused right. and everything they've known, uh, sound wise, heartbeat wise smells, everything is just gone. Um, and then you spend three days bonding with the rotation of nurses. Right. And then they no, disappear and you're bonding to a whole new set. And it's just um, right. a little messy, I think, but right. Yeah. So I, um, looking back now on baby yeah. Patty, what is, what do you, how does that feel? Uh, I've definitely had some therapy sessions about that. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Been in a lot of therapy. Um, yeah, I just think I, I do love the way that now it's like, I mean, adoptive parents and biological parents are all in the same room together mm-hmm. and skin to skin happens immediately. And I, I love that. And I think it does, th- those three days were important, but I think it's, it's still important for adoptive parents to recognize that that doesn't remove the trauma of abandonment. And that doesn't take away the fact that this child has been yanked from everything that they've known. And like the one comforting thing for babies when they're born is when you put them and they can hear the mother's heartbeat on the outside, they're like, okay, we're good. Like, yes, you know, there's a lot around the smell even, or just the familiarity. Um, so I love that, the people have prioritized what babies need now. Um, I just think that sometimes people think, Oh, we've solved that. Yes. And that's not true. That's, um, something that is carried with you for life. Um, I I get that. I get that all the time of with, um, our son, Matthew, who we had got a dot or came into our lives at 18 months. It's like, they're like, Oh, he's got trauma. Didn't he like, like, you know what I mean? Like even at 18 months, I'm like, and that's where I feel like I'm, I'm on this rampage to educate of like, even at birth, even, even at, birth. at birth, there can be, and, and even at birth, even if you were cared for, for those three mm-hmm. days, even yep. if you, you know, did have the skin to skin with the adoptive parents, there mm-hmm. is this leaving and cleaving with this like grief. And, and I love what you said of like, that's all you've known mm-hmm. as a baby in your nine months of growing, you've only known that womb, that heartbeat, everything. Yep. And so for that to go away, that's really that's really hard. And I, and trauma can come from that. I think sometimes in the, you know, we are tend to think like, if you could just get him as an infant, then all, they won't have any issues. No, not at all. Right. I got some issues. Right. (laughs) And I got some issues. I'm from birth. Um, I definitely had kids growing up who did not understand adoption. I think it's way more understood now, but I definitely had friends who would say like, so how long were you in the orphanage? And I'm like, I, I'm not an orphan. My parents aren't dead. (laughs) Right. Um, so yeah, just, it, it doesn't matter if you get from birth, if anything, sometimes you can downplay a child's trauma because you think it doesn't exist because right. you got them from birth right. and it absolutely does. Right. Um, what was that like growing up? Cause I feel like in my situation, my kids don't look like me at all. So it's very oh, yeah. obvious that they're adopted. So everywhere we go, a mall, a grocery store, at school, like it's like obvious. And so it almost like in a way, I think they get more blatant asked blatant right. questions mm-hmm. but I think in a way it's like oh it just kind of destigmatizes like yep we're an adoptive family what yes. was that like being 
white you know, in a white family. White, white in a white family. <laughs> there you go. White in a white family with brown hair like yeah. my dad. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, I, I actually, <laughs> my dad worked at my elementary school and my junior high. And so, um, and it was really embarrassing because he was the PE teacher. And so he was like making all the boys like miserable and running. And so I was actually very loud about my adoption. <laughs> I'm adopted, I'm adopted, I'm adopted. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, don't equip me with him. Don't, yeah, please, please. Genetically not, not related. with him. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, you know, almost to the point actually where I had a friend from elementary school that we reconnected in our adulthood and she thought I was joking that whole time. And I was like, no, not legitimately adopted. <laughs> I'm legitimately adopted. That's so, so um, but it was interesting. I, I knew a couple adopted kids in my grade actually, um, who also were white kids in a white family. So it is interesting. And they had different birth parents and, mm-hmm. um, it, I don't know. It was interesting growing up that way. I think people didn't have a good understanding, like I said, um, about adoption. Um, but, uh, growing up being adopted, I think, uh, it was painted in broad strokes, like such a positive thing. And I think this is like my number one thing that I try to tell people when they're talking about adoption with their kiddos. Um, it is a lovely thing. I am obviously pro adoption. I mean, Jesse, you and I have had a million conversations million. leading up to your adoptions. Um, I love adoption. I think it's good. I think the problem is, is when people don't see the pain, that's when it's not, it's like unhealthy. Um, so it was a lot of like, God brought our family together in a special way. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, God did this to me. Ow. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That was, that's something to sort through. Um, right. And things like, you know, people just feeling like I was rescued. Yeah. Like that was kind of the language around it was like, I was mm. saved and how lucky I am. Right. And I think as an adult looking back, I'm like, I don't feel like anybody, like if you had a child on the street who lost their mom last week, you wouldn't be like, how lucky are you? (laughs) Right. You would never use that language or like, you know, you're taken away and placed somewhere else. I'm like, we saved you. You're so lucky. God did this. Like, that's just not the language we would use. Right. Um, So I think being adopted growing up uh, was interesting in that way is it, it was just a lot of savior language. Yeah. Right. That right. I think isn't accurate. And I think it, um, negates the feelings of the child. Right. Um, and, well, and then you don't feel safe to feel anything but lucky. Yes. And the, yes. the reality is, is that all, all three need saving. The, yes. the child needs the child needs love and saving and mm-hmm. the, the adoptive family needs mm-hmm. love and saving and the birth family needs Absolutely. love and saving. It's like Absolutely. We all need it. Yeah. Totally. We all need it. And yet, yeah, the stigma is that it's the, it's just the child who, mm-hmm. who needs. Right. Um, yeah. One of the most profound moments of my infertility or my adoption journey was a podcast I was listening to. And Doug always says, don't tell this to someone who's newly wants to adopt. And I'm like, I think it's the best piece of advice ever. It's just really <laughs> intense. It's just really intense. Uh, but it completely, I feel like I was already like knew this language of mm-hmm. like, you know, we're saving you. Look at Disneyland you get. Like, I, I feel like I was already comfortable with that to be like, no, that is not like when you have Disneyland, but you've had your family yanked from you. Like, that's not Mm -hmm. that's not it so but it just really gave me this good image of like this one lady said 
adoption is standing on another birth, a gravestone of another family. Mm. And I was like, and I remember I was running and I stopped and I just started to cry of like, yes, yes. Adoption, Mm -hmm. whether it be good and a good choice or, you know what I mean? Or a hard choice. It's like, or not, not a good choice or you're not in a good place um, to give your baby up or whatever. It's still, it's standing on a gravestone of another family. And that is so powerful to Mm -hmm. me. And I feel like that's what I'm so passionate to help people see of like, yes, adoption is beautiful and it's awesome. But it's also sad. Yeah. And it's also hard. And there's really a family messy. being broken up here. Yeah. And we talked about, well, I don't even remember the quote, but like, like my child, my family being born of another family's pain, you know, yes. just recognizing that this is like you were saying, both joyful and sad. There right. is joy and grief and that's okay. And I think that's okay. When I was growing up, it wasn't okay to have grief around it. It was only okay to have joy around it. And same with, I mean, same with my parents. Yeah. Like, you you have a baby. You're fine now. You know, I'm sure yeah. their grief was glossed over, whether by them or by other people. I'm sure they didn't feel like they could feel sad. And I think there probably was a lot of grief still for my parents. Right. Because that infertility journey is no joke. And my mom went through a lot of pain and sadness. And she did have people who uh, basically told her, like, you know what you should do? We'll just adopt and you'll be okay. You know, Mm -hmm. I know that that language was used on my parents. So just knowing, like, that there was so much grief and being handed a baby didn't fix it, but they probably didn't feel okay to feel that. Right. They probably right. felt like I should be happy now. I have right. a baby, the end. Right. So I think neither of us benefited from that culture. Right. Um, I think people knew it was sad for birth moms, you know? Yeah. I think they recognized that. But then even that was like, you're such a saint for putting your child, like, you know, there yeah. was a lot of that language too. And I think, you're right that all three of us at this table <laughs> yeah. need to feel the grief and like yeah. just the therapy around mm-hmm. it, um, doing the work to really recognize the, that there is joy and grief. And isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting for the birth mom that we are, we are both the saint, mm. but we're also that very tragic and broken mm-hmm. girl who couldn't have her life together mm-hmm. or who made so many choices that Absolutely. this is where she landed herself. Yep. So it's quite a spectrum that we get flung between mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. of tragic lost soul Absolutely. to elevated saint-like figure, which right. I don't think either is a true picture, right? No. Like neither, neither holds the, the multifacetedness that is a human being and right. the choices mm-hmm. that we make. Mm-hmm. And I imagine what it would have been like if you had kept your son, you'd go from like, oh, you gave up your child for adoption, you saint, to, oh, you're a teen mom. It's it's interesting that you had the same experience either way, but your choice in that either made you a sinner or saint, you know? That's Mm -hmm. really interesting too, that I don't know that you would have been given the same love and support the other way, you know, maybe from your family. Yeah. I think my family would have rallied for sure, but mm-hmm. I think society, society. Would, would view yeah, them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, yes, society. society. Stereo of my friends yeah. <laughs> getting, ri- getting riled. I love it. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, that's exactly it is it's, we have to recognize that we can't pinhole it to one simple thing 
that the child was rescued, that the birth mother is a saint, that the adoptive family is finally complete and okay. Like that's just, that's far too narrow. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not, it's not real life. Right. That's the Instagram picture. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's a good fairy tale story for bedtime, but it's, it is (laughs) right. What was that like Patty? Like, cause it feels like you and Mary Jane, I feel like you at 17 was wise beyond your ears. Um, and Patty, like how, what was that? Like, did you, did that grate against you even as a kid? Like, Oh God did this for, for you. Look at this joy. Look at this, like whatever. Or what, when, what point did it be like, I'm sad. Like I also want to be met in like my sadness or my curiosity of what my birth family looks like and whatever. Totally. And I don't know if I consciously saw the damage until much later. Yeah. Um, because of therapy. (laughs) Um, I think, I think subconsciously it changed how I spoke and it changed how I emoted. Um, Mm -hmm. I definitely had situations where I was little and I did show emotion around it and it wasn't met well. And so it was like, oh, I can't be sad about this because this bumps against your sad. Right. So um, your sad matters more than my sad. So my sad's going to go inside. Deep, 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 deep down. Right. <laughs> deep, 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 deep. The squish deep. cat is going to squish the garbage down. Yeah. Um, so I, I think... Gosh, can we just pause on that? Because that's exactly what I say all the time of like, just check your motivation of why you're going into adoption and foster care. Yes. And yes, of course you can go into adoption and foster care wanting to grow your family. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that, but just making sure because you as the adoptee will have your own trauma and have your own stuff. Mm -hmm. And if yours is bigger than theirs and yours Mm -hmm. matters more than theirs, Mm -hmm. just think about that picture. Just think about that. And if that's not dealt with, and I don't think you have to go into adoption as a spick and span healthy no, person because none of not, us are. Hello. Not a thing. <laughs> but I think even just being aware of it and starting your grief journey, and I think therapy is so important, but something to have that outlet um, because exactly, they're going to have trauma as well. And if mm-hmm. yours is bigger than that, mm-hmm. or yeah. if you're going into that t- with that child to have them solve your mm-hmm. infertility, it's mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. going to be good. I call it, you know, a bandaid on a, on a cannonball. Wound yeah. That, um, you know, a lot of times with people, they're they're going into adoption wanting that baby because it will fix everything, and it is literally a Band-Aid on a cannonball wound. It doesn't fix anything. And mm-hmm. I have to say this for everyone, like, who does that for marriage problems, who does it for, like, anything. Right. A baby will never fix yeah. the problems. Yeah. <laughs> it will 100% magnify the problems. And, and right. I have to say that for parenting in general, you need to do the work because... I have a biological son and he bumps on my stuff frequently. Like there's no greater mirror than parenting. A hundred percent. And even parenting myself because he's so much like me, you know, there's going to be things he bumps on. So in general, I'd say do the work and make sure that as the adult, your things are kept for your friends, for your therapist, for your spouse, mm. not for your child. It's not, it's not for them to, to hold. Um, and I think a lot of times in adoption, the adoptee ends up holding the pain. Mm. And so again, and subconsciously for me, yeah. I would imagine as the, so good. as the adoptive family that there's so much fear, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. if I allow the questions, if I open up to this pain that this child is experiencing, that highlights the reality of 
precariousness of our relationship and how it got established. Mm -hmm. Totally. And so how do, like that's really challenging, right? Because mm -hmm. you have to be willing to lay down that fear or that um, what if mm -hmm. of allowing those questions and allowing that grief to have space because it's not that, it, I would assume, it's not that the adopted child is grieving that they have this family, right? Mm -hmm. They're not grieving mm -hmm. their, their reality. They're grieving what they don't know. They're grieving the confusion of what was. Mm -hmm. right? Um, and I think that it, I, I can't imagine what it's like as the adoptive family to hold that and to right. say, how do I, how do I simultaneously hold this fear of mm -hmm. what could be taken in a moment or all of the delicacies that go into creating a family mm -hmm. with this, what if they don't want my family? What if, you know, like right, all of those right. dark things that right. come up. Well, I think exactly what you said of like compartmentalize, like I can sit down with my nine-year-old, you know, um, foster placement right now and we can talk about those things yeah. and we can talk about you know how hard it is and how much she misses things and how you know she's having a hard time or how she doesn't like this or she doesn't like that and that has a lot to do with her birth family and I feel like it's that classic inside out moment mm -hmm. where bing bong is sad and joy just wants to make him happy and make him happy and sadness just comes alongside and be like that is really sad I'm really sad for you and then Bing Bong cries candy tears <laughs> and then goes and then goes, OK, I feel better now. That happens to me weekly. Mm -hmm. That happens to me weekly. Yeah. And it's like if and that's what it's so important to check your motivation of going into this of like you can you, you have to be there for the child. And now I look into adoption and foster care to serve. I really do. Mm -hmm. I, I went into it to serve myself and now it changes into a place to serve. And yes, yeah, some things still hurt. And I think sometimes the hardest thing for me is the stuff that she says that hurts her. I get angry for right. her. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, but exactly what you said, Patty, I can take that and be calm in the moment, be like, oh, and be there for her and grieve with her and hug her. And then she feels better. And then I can go to my friend's group text and be like, Grr! you know what I mean? And that's and I where say, I can let it. Who do I kill? Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> Patty's an eight on the Enneagram. So I always have that. But it's like, I, I feel like that was so beautiful how you said of like, you know, you need to be able and I don't know. I feel like compartmentalize has a bad connotation of right. like, it's like, yeah, a little bit though. It's like, yeah, you compartmentalize. Like you're not thinking about yourself in that moment and you're thinking about the child and you're thinking about their sad so they can go on and, you know. It's prioritizing. It's prioritizing yeah. what needs to be focused on. Right. And the child focus has to come first. Right. But yes. if I was going into that with my infertile self, mm. looking at her to solve it with me, I would come into it differently. I just would. It would just be different. I would just be so like, why are you talking about her? I look at all I've done for you. I have to do your laundry. Mm -hmm. I, I do your thing. I feed you. I make sure you have uniform. Like all yeah. those things would, would be in the back of my mind. Um, it's not so about you. It's that's, not. That's say it again, Patty. Thing. It's not about you. And I was just thinking, don't take my journey personally. Yes. It has nothing mm. to do. This is not about you. 100%. And like you were saying with the grief, like I'm not grieving you. Like don't like don't not grieving the life that exists. No, don't don't take this personally. Just be present with me. And yeah, it's gonna hit a bunch of stuff. Like I've sat down with people 
and walked them through things where they say things and I'm like, ooh, that bumped my stuff. That's just not the space for it. Right. You you set that aside. You yeah. prioritize the person in front of you. Right. I mean, you can't bring your pain to someone's grief. Like, it, you just can't. Wh- what are we going to do? A war of grief here? Yeah. Like, who's big? Who's whose grief is bigger? Right. Um. And then it just means that you don't get to feel you're sad with that person because it. You recognize, oh, my sad trigger is your sad. So exactly, it's it's just a lot, and I think giving space for grief and really knowing that the child is not the place for your grief to come out is important. A hundred percent. And I've seen that on every part of the journey. So even uh, reconnecting with my bio father in um, when I was when I was nineteen, um, having those conversations with him absolutely bumped against my dad's fears. Um, so, you know, my dad and I had a fun, you know, we, we were both like bumping heads and yelling at each other. I mean, we just got through high school for goodness sake, like, uh, and I was not easy. I'm an eight, I'm an eight. So lots of anger, lots of, you know, yelling. Um, so I think when I got a call from my biological father, that bumped against all my dad's fears of she's going to like him better than me. Mm. She's going especially coming off of high school where we bumped heads so much oh my gosh she's gonna meet him and we're gonna lose her and I'm 19 I mean you're losing me to adulthood but that was (laughs) a very real yes and present reality for your dad absolutely yeah he could lose you yes that that does that ever go away are you asking me like Um, does that does that ever go away yeah Mm -hmm. and my mom I even remember my mom saying if it had been your biological mother, I'm sure I'd be the one spiraling right now. Right. And even as a baby, my parents right. had a plan because it took two and a half years for my adoption to be finalized. Mm-hmm. And my parents had a plan of like, if they show up at our front door, we pack up our car and we drive out of the country. Right. Right. You know, like there is so much fear. So when you said the fear, it's there's so much fear around. Mm-hmm. I finally have this child in my hands and over my dead body. Right. Am I going to lose it? Right. And so right. but that's their trauma speaking too. Right. So right. When I say it ever goes away, like the fear of them, the parent coming back and getting them. Or just that that your relationship with them is fragile or I don't yeah. want to say in eternal because that feels too big, but like that it can be that it can be altered, that the reality of the relationship you have with your children could be altered by the re-entry of a relationship right. from right. their past. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm scared less of them becoming <laughs> teenagers and having cell phones. So, yes. Yeah. Um, but I feel like I I hmm, I feel very well. educated might be the right word of like yes this could happen like exactly what you're saying patty of like in the 80s the language was not good (laughs) and i think there's been so much research and so much stuff of like yes as teenagers they want to go and find their birth families and yes like and if they don't hear it from you they're going to hear it from the internet or whatever yeah they're trying to fill in the gaps yeah totally which i am like I just did this with our foster placement. She wanted to find this thing. And I'm like, let's do it. Start Googling it. And I did it with her. So I think that there is so much more education around it. If you educate yourself and deal with your trauma that like, I mean, I don't know, maybe when it happens, it'll be harder, but yeah, I mean, that would just be, 
I w- that would be something to absolutely grieve. Um, mm. and, but I feel very confident in myself that I know that I'm doing the best that I can. And I know that I know that I'm changing these kids lives. Like I know that even though it's really, really hard and it's, you know, there's some really, really hard days, especially our kids not being in school full time right now. That's really difficult. But, um, you're a really I've, good mom. Oh, mm, you are sweet. Yeah. Well, you're we've sweet. talked about at this table, how healing this relationship of three has been. Yeah. We've got a birth parent, adoptive parent and an adoptee and how each of us in our conversations around this has been so healing for each yeah, other right. to get our perspectives and right. to see each part done well where right. each of us have taken the time to really dig into it right right and or, I think Doug and I joke of like our son you know had when he came to live with us at 18 months he had a different last name and Doug and I joke of like he's gonna go through a phase where he wants that last name back like mm-hmm. it's just fact so it's like I feel like and that's one thing to like quote-unquote joke about not that I'm not joking or making light of it, but it's like, it's one thing to joke about and one thing to do it. Like, I don't, I honestly don't know. I feel very well prepared. I Mm -hmm. feel like I see the future of like, they possibly could Mm -hmm. not want anything to do with us. They possibly could, you know, want to run back to their family. And I, I think that will be very extremely difficult when it happens, but I think I'm aware of it. I think I'm aware of the fact that could happen. It happens in biological families. Exactly. Like there are, oodles of biological families where the parent-child relationship is strained and damaged so much that they can't stay in relationship together Mm -hmm. and that that severing is going to be painful regardless right and I I would hope that I would hope that the relationships that exist between adoptive children and their families um that there's a confidence that builds, that there's yeah. a confidence that builds in what you're actually creating right. in the life that you're living in the family that you are mm-hmm. and that that has staying power. Mm-hmm. It's not about a bloodline mm-hmm. that that right. has staying power right? and that the storm can come, whatever that storm might be, yeah. whether it's a person mm-hmm. or an illness or a relationship and your family, like my prayer is that like your family is strong enough to handle that. Yeah, and your kids yeah. are going to know that they've got safe place. They've got that unconditional love that right. is waiting for them. Right. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that comes from education, putting myself out there and doing the work and doing the work and the talking to Patty, work. honestly, and to be mm-hmm. like, I said, this is that bad. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I mean? Sometimes she's like, yeah. Change that a little bit. <laughs> I'm like, okay, but it's like, and I feel very blessed that one of my best friends in my life is adopted, who has that. But it's like, I mean, I think a lot of people do actually, if they put themselves out there and and said that they wanted to adopt, I think it'd be amazing what you find. Yes, um, and people, but um, yeah, I feel very, I feel very blessed with that. Um, okay, what would your advice be, Mary Jane, to someone who is working with a birth mom? What would your advice because I feel like this birth mom thing has a stigma. I feel like that word has a little bit of a stigma of, you know, oh, they're all making really bad choices and, you know, they have to give up their baby or whatever. Um, But in your case, that wasn't the case. And I feel like that is, would be mind blowing for people of like, you have two kids, you stayed with your birth dad and you're married and you have, you know, this awesome job and this awesome (laughs) life. And, you know, I think someone would look at you from afar and be like, oh, you're a birth mom and almost be surprised. Yeah, it's it's definitely a secret society. Um, right. And I've said this before, but even more so for birth fathers, like a birth mom, there's there's groups and, you know, 
it's a little bit more talked about, but birth dads, it's like, that's not a thing. Mm. The stigma for them is I think far worse. Um, Mm. but for me, yeah, the, I'm going to get a stigma either way. Right. At 17 with a kid, uh, that's just, I'm going to get stigmatized. I think that, um, as I look at how to manage that relationship, what does it look like to walk into adoption considering, um, the birth mom? It's hard because there are so many angles and stories, right? But for me, I needed an adoptive family that recognized, um, that I I was coming from a place of, of love and wanting what was best for the child. Mm. And I think that so often, um, birth moms are seen as somebody that child needs to be saved from. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and like the reality, you guys know me, the reality is I probably could have pulled it off. Like oh, absolutely. I could have I pulled it off. I could have been a mom and we would have been fine. Oh, absolutely. It would have been, been life. Um, but I was coming from a place of wanting what was absolutely best for this child. And so I, when I would consider these adoptive families who would view me as not okay or whatever that was really hard like oh there is a stigma out there that birth moms are unsafe that um, the fear of that relationship could be so intense that we have to remove the relationship Mm -hmm. and I think in some cases that does make sense if the birth mom is unhealthy and can cause damage and trauma to the child absolutely they should have removal they shouldn't be um, in that person's life so I think to recognize that the birth mom probably just wants to work with you to get the best possible solution for their child. Right. Um, and for me, it was the reality of somebody recognizing that everything I was doing was from a place of love right. um, and not from a place of desperation or right. needing, um, you know, I wanted to live a reckless life, so I need to get this kid out of my situation. Right. Like that wasn't my posture right. at all. Uh, and I think that is the stigma that comes with yeah. with birth moms a lot is, oh, you just want to be free to live your life yeah. or whatever. And I, I mean, I can't imagine what it's like for the child that we placed. We, we don't have a relationship. It was an open adoption, but we don't have a relationship. Um, and I just consider like, gosh, it's gotta, it's going to be interesting when he looks at our life now mm-hmm. and sees 2.5 kids, you know, right, <laughs> like, right. Oh my gosh, that's what a whirlwind of life has happened between the placement 21 years ago and now. And I can only imagine the story he's filled in of his, of his birth family, his biological Mm -hmm. family and what um, our life has been like or why we have done what we've done in the same way that I filled in gaps for his life Mm -hmm. that I've, I've filled in the details of what I don't know about his personality or his interests. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we all, we all do that. And when we, when we lack the data, we want to fill it in and, and make sense of it. Right. We have to get this world around us to be justified and make sense. Right. What's it like being a birth mom now in your mind? What, what, what thoughts go through your head now? Um, gosh, they range all over the place. I, I have a lot of compassion for birth moms. I'm a part of some birth mom support groups and birth parent support groups where, um, I can sit with people in their grief. I can be bing bong and say, hey, I get this season of, yeah, Mother's Day is confusing. And there's just, there's seasons that are hard. Um, 
anniversaries and birthdays and all of those kinds of things. Um, so sitting with other people, I think, has been really therapeutic and helpful for me. There's definitely um, the curiosity and longing to know him and want to be in his life and all of that. But also, like you guys know, I will, I will never put that desire above what he means and what okay. he desires. Um, and if that is to live the life he's been living and to just carry on in joy. I mean, I am so at peace with that. I'm so good with that, even though I want so badly to know him. Right. You know, and I think that's a thing that we don't think about with birth moms is that, you know, the baby just goes off into the world and you never think about them again. That is just not true. No. And it's so funny. I, you know, I tell my son this because I work one night a week and there's one night a week I don't put him to bed. And he'll, the next day, I just missed you so much. I just missed you so much. And I look at him and I say, every time you miss me, I miss you too. Mm. And it's the same. Okay. I have to tell myself the same thing. As much as I think of him and miss him, there's a part of him that misses me too. And that's right. Okay. okay, well. Good night. Let's close in prayer. Can <laughs> we dedicate? Let's close in prayer. Oh, oh. my gosh. <laughs> that is so good. Well, but that's, that's. I'll call my therapist after this. Yeah. <laughs> But that's my reality, right? Is totally. As much as I miss him, I have to assume he misses me too. Right. Um, and that he is living the best version of his life that I could have afforded him. Right. There's nothing more I could have done to give him every chance right. um, at the beautiful life he's created. Right. Oh, well, I have to say. How do you already go to next? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on the opposite side of that, that's true. And that can, that's why I'm like crying over here it's like because you do wonder like do they think of me do every they care day. like oh every my day. gosh like I said I'm gonna call my therapist after this um I have very different four very different parents yeah, yeah. I've got my mom's experience my dad's experience my biological father's experience my biological mother's experience my bio dad wanted to keep me and raise me. And he's the one that tracked me down. I didn't look for my parents. They looked for me. Mm -hmm. And my biological mother knows that I exist, knows that I come to the same County every year and has like had to push that away. And I can only imagine what the process is on that. But it does make me go like, Oh, am I like the dirty little secret kind of thing? You know? Right. Right. Um, which a little bit I am because (laughs) I don't think her, her kids don't know anything. And she has two children and, um, two sons, but there's just so much to that. And I think the number one advice I can give is that it's complicated and it's complex. Mm. And if you don't allow all those things to commingle, you're missing out on the Mm. the fullness of the situation. And you are going to be suppressing someone's joy or someone's pain. If you can't sit and hold the tension of all those moving pieces and I'm just one adoption. I have met so many people who've been adopted who have every single one of them a very different experience. Right. And I remember the first time I had a class with someone who had a very negative perspective on her adoption. And I was shocked because I had been the stuffer downer of like, it's wonderful. People save, you know, right. saved me. And um, I found a website one time about adoption with a barcode on a baby as their symbol at the top of the page. And I remember being like, is that how people view my adoption is like a buy and sell black market? Like, so there's just a lot going on. And I think 
my number one advice, like I said, is to just be present with the fact that every single person has their own experience of it mm. and that there is an, a vast difference from your grief to your joy. It's just a whole spectrum. And just be ready to be present with everybody's feelings about it. Um, and like and you to said, draw about, them out, yeah. to draw the, to ask yeah, the open ended questions, questions. Yeah. yeah, to do the therapy, to, to, yes. to do the workbooks. Like I know it's corny, but like they're, they're helpful. No, <laughs> it's of, not corny at all. Especially if you don't know. I mean, none of us know what we're doing in parenting, but right. like when you don't know what you're doing, that's like tools are helpful. And I can't tell you how many times I sat and asked my parents, whose eyes do you have? Whose hands do you have? Whose feet do you have? And none of that was like ever recognized as my adoption trauma reaching out and thinking like, wow, I wonder what I look like, whose right. eyes I have, whose hair I have, you know, um, it's all there and you have to lean in because they may not bring it up. Just ask good questions. And I'm filling in the gaps. Just like you said, you're filling in the gaps, Mary Jane. I'm filling in the gaps. Yeah. I had a whole story and Every single adoptive person I know does this, has an entire storyline in their brain. You know, my parents withheld the um, names from me because they didn't want it to like stir anything and make me confused. Sure. Right. But I think what I could tell them too is like, oh, it didn't matter. Like I was confused. <laughs> Things right. were stirring. I'm confused. I, yeah. I see strangers in public who look like me and I'm like, is that them? You know, mm. um, it's, you're, you're always filling in those gaps. So if you don't step into those gaps, I'm going to do it myself. Um, and I have to say like so much love and grace for everyone in my situation. I love my bio dad. I love my parents. I'm very protective when people call them, not my parents like that, that is there forever. They love me. I love them. We are a family and it's that way for the rest of our lives. So that fear around it is there for them, I'm sure, but that's just not the case. So just knowing that it's okay to have questions, it's okay to be sad, and that has nothing to do with your child's love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> that was so good. Mm. Have you guys ever thought about doing podcasting, like becoming podcasters? No. I hate my voice on... Like oh, please. <laughs> please. I that, that was... So I, good. I literally have thought about podcasting and it would just be like a podcast I create for myself where I just ramble out my trauma <laughs> and like process aloud by myself, but record just so it you can as hear my it. memoirs. Yeah. You know? Oh my gosh. And make sure no one I know ever hears any of it. I think that's the other fear is like yeah. everything I'm saying, I'm realizing I am holding the grief of people around me too. I know. So Sorry. it's like my parents, oh my gosh, do you think they're going to listen to this? Yes. They're like proud mama and dada. They're like, you did something. I'm going to listen. Okay. Sorry. I love you so much. And it's okay that I hurt. Um, <laughs> right. Or like Jeb listens to this. Right. Or what if Barb is doing Randomly the same kind of Googling I do and finds, you know, I yeah. don't know. My, the, the child that I placed is 21. Mm -hmm. So I have absolutely no idea what he looks into or doesn't yeah. look into or knows or right. doesn't know. Right. And I can tell you that I have absolutely looked up her Facebook, her siblings' Facebooks, her kids' Facebooks. I, I, I have, I'm a stalker online anyways. Yeah, it's you just are. part of my yep. training is CIA. <laughs> don't, don't, anyone that leaves us a negative comment on Instagram or anything, just be prepared. Just know that Patty I know will come you for you. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> It's true. It's true. It's true. I've absolutely looked up the people that have left negative <laughs> comments. <laughs> I'm exactly. an eight. I'm protective and I'm angry. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so I don't know. It's just interesting that, yeah, I, I would love to do write a book or do a podcast and then have no one read it because I would, right. I would hate to hurt people. And, and the thing that I sometimes struggle with, if I'm being honest, I feel like watching your story and be so connected to your story and knowing about your how you grew up in your family, I have one who is one child who is ready to talk about that all the time and mm-hmm. totally okay with that. And then I have another one who doesn't want to do that. So he doesn't want it to like paint it into a different light. Like I feel like a very important language is was talking about you were adopted. It only happens once. Yeah. Trying to explain that to him. He was like, I am adopted. I am I'm like, no. Okay. Yes. No. Like, and he's also a very literal person, but mm. it's just interesting. I feel like I'm so ready to dive in and do he's all not. that. And like, talk about like, it also is sad. And it's like, I feel like he in his age and how he views the world is very, that's okay. I'm okay. Which is a little bit of stuffing, but like, so it's so funny. I feel like sometimes I have to pull back with him, like not be so intense to be like, but it's also sad. You also have sad. <laughs> yeah. It's there. Yeah. You, know you don't want to put sadness where it's not there yet. Totally. Yeah. So I feel like that also can be the opposite. What I've known is like, I feel like I've so educated myself in this world to be like, talk about the sad. Don't just say about Disneyland. You know what I mean? Like that I feel like sometimes I have to back up and yes. be like, go on his pace. And mm-hmm. so I feel right. like also every adopted child is different. Like, honestly, I feel like our son and this totally could not be true. If you're listening to this when you're 21 years old and it's completely different, it's fine. But it's like, I feel like he's actually going to be more accepting. He's just more of an accepting, like, just give me the facts. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I see that. With our other one, it's not going to be like that. So I feel like it's interesting. That's the reality of you knowing your children. Right. And you sitting with them where they are. Right. And not expecting them to be where you need them to be, want them Mm -hmm. to be. You think they should be putting any sort of expectation on it. But to say, wherever you're walking, I'm with you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it can be as tight or as messy or as confusing or as unconfusing as it needs to be. Right. Yep. Right. Every child is different. Every adoption is different, yep. even within the same family. Exactly. Sure. Every experience is different. And, exactly. Um, yeah. I'm probably, I'm more like Matthew. We've talked about this. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Very much. And yeah, I mean, vulnerability and feelings don't come first. Yeah. It's definitely action, then thinking and then feeling. Yeah. So um, it's going to take a while for him to get in touch with that. And you know, I like that you're gently leading him, but not pushing it. Yeah. Um, Cause just, I feel like when I've pushed it, it's backfired. Or it's like, I don't like this. And I'm like, but this is what we're supposed to talk about. In my book that I have right here, (laughs) page 75, we're supposed to talk about this. So I feel like that's that's been actually the most growing thing for me Mm -hmm. is actually Mm -hmm. to know the information and know that he needs to feel this stuff Mm -hmm. and be like, we're not there yet. He's also seven. Yep. Yeah. So we'll give it it a little time. We'll give it a little time. I have to think about that whole language around I am adopted, I was adopted because I definitely say I am adopted. You were. I was. It only happens once. It only happened one time. There was a judge. Because I think, because <laughs> I think the I am language is like, that's who you are in your, your identity. identity. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's a part of you. It's a piece of you. Yeah. A big piece of you. And yeah. you have a lot of trauma from it. And probably every adopted person I feel like has a little bit of trauma from that. But it's not who you are. There's mm-hmm. so many other things that, that, uh, who you are. It's a part of you. If my therapist is listening, I'm calling you in a few minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stand by. Stand, Stand by your phone. By. Well, honestly, I think I can say this has been my favorite conversation of mm-hmm. our whole entire podcast. I'm serious. I love it. And well, I also love you both very dearly and it's very easy to talk to you. But thank you. Yes. These thank conversations you. are not only helping the infertility community, but hopefully helping society in general mm. of how to view these very tender very common things of 
birth mom to adoptee to someone who adopts out of infertility. So I could not be more grateful that you guys took the time to talk. And I really, really, really mean this. You will change someone's life from this conversation. Mm -hmm. They will be better and they will have aha moments because of you too. Oh, that kind is a lot. And drop the music. (laughs) 